Welcome to a new episode of A Word from the Edge, Faith, Religion, and Spiritual Community at the Edge of Secular Culture. I'm Brother Richard Edward Helmer, Rector of Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California, and your host. In this episode, recorded in mid-August 2018, fellow deputies from the 79th General Convention of the Episcopal Church join me and members of Church of Our Savior to discuss highlights of our church's triennial meeting in Austin this past July. We look at the ongoing work in discerning what the church has to say both about the future of Christian mission and ministry in our time and to the pressing moral issues that our world is currently facing. privilege of welcoming uh, three of my colleagues, Reverend Canon Eric Matoye, um, who works uh, for the diocese, Congregational Development Officer, um, working with our bishop and our uh, canon to the ordinary very closely, uh, Warren Wong, a member of St. James San Francisco, longtime deputy from the Diocese of California, and now uh, president of uh, Province 8, the province uh, which encompasses much of the Western United States and uh, Taiwan. And uh, it's great to have you here with us, Warren. And Ron Hermanson, member of Grace Cathedral, and he and I were partners in crime on the Standing Committee just a few years ago, and a good colleague and a good friend. And uh, this is not his first visit to Church of Our Savior. Ron, Ron likes to make it his business sometimes to travel the diocese and... and see many of the congregations he's gotten to know over the years, and it's great to have you all with us. You'll note we are all male. Um, that is entirely by accident, um, not to imply at all, as you can see um, from the pictures, uh, our deputation was quite diverse. And in fact, uh, the two leaders of our deputation, both our uh, lay leader, our lay chair, and our clergy chair, um, our women, um, Sarah Lawton, who's a member of uh, St. John the Evangelist in San Francisco and was also chair of um, the Committee on Social Justice and International Policy. Thank you for the correction on that. And uh, then Vanessa Glass, um, who is formerly rector of St. Francis Novato and is now serving as an interim at St. Mary in Napa. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and they send their regrets. And also with us was uh, Ruth Myers, who is professor of liturgics at the Church Divinity School of the Pacific and um, has had a long-standing experience working with uh, General Convention and uh, did some critical work on our behalf and helped lead us through some critical work at this convention. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to present um, the five-minute dirty Brother Richard Edwards overview of what happened at General Convention. I mean, how do you sum up hundreds of committee meetings and, and thousands of volunteer hours in five minutes? Well, I'm going to, you know, dare where angels don't go dare to trod and, and do a summation. And then you're going to hear from each of us about what our takeaways were from this General Convention, um, what moved us. And, um, and then we're going to open things up for questions to see what areas of this work you want to hear more about, um, and we can talk more about that. And there'll be other opportunities as well in the coming weeks to learn more about what happened at General Convention. Um, in addition to preparing a presentation that'll be coming out to all of the deaneries of the diocese, 
There's going to be a presentation as well at Diocesan Convention in October. Fair enough? Okay. So as you heard, we met in Austin. And most of us flew in on the 1st or 2nd of July. Um, and many people had been there weeks before um, setting up. General Convention is one of the largest democratic bodies in the world. Um, to give you an idea, when we are all gathered and we are busy, there's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of three to 4,000 people on the ground at work. Um, and that includes all the volunteers, that includes the House of Deputies, which is comprised of nearly 900 members. If you can imagine moving 900 people through parliamentary process, you start to understand the challenges that we have. Um, the House of Bishops, which is comprised of all the bishops of the Episcopal Church. And normally that means between, I don't know, 120 and 200 bishops gather for the House of Bishops meeting um, with general convention. And they're the other house. Um, we were set up uh, primarily by Bishop William White, um, very close to um, the American Revolution, as a new kind of church. And William White's vision was a church that would be governed through democratic process and um, that would leave a lot of authority locally, but that would gather on a regular basis in its general convention to make policy decisions that would affect the whole of the church. So this is the 79th time we've done this since the Episcopal Church came into being um, around 1789. So we meet every three years. And um, in the interregnum, um, we have an executive council that meets to carry on the business of general convention and works closely with um, our presiding bishop, who's currently Michael Curry. Um, and then the vice chair of executive council is the president of the House of Deputies. Um, and both of them are elected um, from their various houses. Bishop Michael Curry was elected at last general convention to be our presiding bishop for nine years. And um, Gay Clark Jennings is starting in her third um, three-year uh, term as president of the House of Deputies. Okay? Does that give you kind of a really broad brush overview? The House of Deputies is formed by laity and clergy who are elected out of each diocese. Each diocese elects four laity and four clergy, deacons or priests. Um, and we're not delegates. We are deputized by our dioceses to go and, um, and vote on actions that affect the, the whole church. Um, so we normally don't say to the diocese, tell us how to vote. We're deputized, so we get to vote our own conscience and minds. But we do a lot of work together. And the other thing that we do is we serve frequently on a lot of the legislative committees and a lot of the committees that meet between conventions to keep the business of the wider church moving forward. All right, so this is the 30,000-foot view of what we accomplished at this uh, convention. Um, with the presiding bishop's leadership, um, we did extensive discussion and exploration on what he's called the three pillars of the Jesus movement in our time. And um, those three pillars are evangelism, reaching out, bringing others into 
the life of faith and the walk with Christ, racial reconciliation and justice, which is badly needed um, all over the Episcopal Church and is attending to not only our history, but where we are currently as a society and where we want to go, and then care of creation, which, as you all know, is becoming more and more to the fore as we encounter the challenges of climate change and policy around that. We began a process of planning to revise the Book of Common Prayer. For those of you who aren't looking forward to that, that's the bad news. The good news is it's not likely to be completed until 2030. So there's going to be a lot of time. The next three years, in a nutshell, are um, going to be spent with a task force organizing to begin to gather information from the grassroots of the church about what liturgies have worked really well, what liturgies are new and are indigenous in many parts of our church, um, and, and to look at resources. And I, I think the end of the day, we're probably going to end up with a revision that will, that will have um, a lot of congruence with our current Book of Common Prayer, but will also reflect the growing diversity of the church. Um, we may end up with liturgies in Spanish and French, for instance, and possibly some other indigenous languages um, of the Episcopal Church today. And um, it, I, I'm hoping it's going to be a very rich process. Um, there are people who want to preserve the Book of Common Prayer, so one of the decisions that was made in this was to memorialize the 1979 Book of Common Prayer. Um, in the Church of England, they memorialized the 1662 Book of Common Prayer way back when. I'm not exactly sure we really are structured to memorialize any Book of Common Prayer because the beauty of General Convention is that any decision General Convention makes is good for three years. And then a new General Convention gathers and we can revisit just about any decision we've made. So just keep that in mind. Um, we expanded the use of marriage rights for all couples. We can get more into the detail of that, but we, we took further steps to make sure that all couples who wish to be married in the church may do so at their local um, parish or congregation. Um, we can get more into the weeds on that in a few minutes. Um, and then we address key areas of social and moral concern. Um, we had a lot of work responding um, and engaging with the Me Too movement. Um, we had intentional listening to the voices of women and to the voices of those who had struggled with harassment, particularly in the church. It was a very powerful liturgy um, led by our bishops um, to listen to those stories and to apologize and show signs of repentance. And we're also moving in the direction of policy change in this area. Um, so this is something we're looking at. We began addressing um, the just treatment of immigrants and furthering that. Family separation, of course, has been heavily on our minds and hearts. We bore witness to that at the Hutto Detention Center, which is a detention center for women about 40 minutes outside of Austin. Trinity Wall Street paid for 30 buses to carry 1,000 of us out to the detention center in Little Taylor, Texas. Taylor, Texas had never had anybody approach them to ask for a permit for a protest, so they had to invent it. And um, we went there on a hot, uh, sunny Sunday morning, 
had prayers, and then bore witness. And um, it was very humid. It was very Texas, right? Lots of Gulf moisture in the air. And um, what I think was so moving is we could see the women waving at us from the compound. And what we learned later is that they were all at the windows in tears as we expressed solidarity with them. All of them were picked up at the border. Most of them were here seeking asylum. About 40 of them were separated from their children. And many of them are waiting to hear when their hearing is going to be. And um, the good news is, in addition to shining a spotlight on that, we join in solidarity with the county, which has gotten so incensed at the injustice of this that the county that Hutto Detention Center is in is actually cutting funding at the end of this year. Um, for that, um, which means um, ICE is going to have to figure out something different. Uh, and so, it, for me, that was one of the most powerful things um, of this general convention. We bore witness against gun violence and also passed some significant legislation about that, which we can talk about in a few minutes. Um, we had extensive debate and a number of resolutions addressing the Israeli-Palestinian conflict you heard me mention Sarah Lawton, who is chair of uh, Social Justice International um, Policy, and uh, she was one of the leaders um, in that effort. And, um, and then um, we worked very hard and passed some significant legislation to advance the dignity and the ministry of our transgender members and uh, those with disabilities. And again, members of our deputation and also members of this diocese um, we're heavily involved in both of those efforts. So that's the 30,000-foot view. Yeah? Not bad for 10 days' work. Yeah? And gathering so many thousands of people. So I'm going to turn the microphone now over to Eric and ask what your takeaways were and what you would like to share. Thank you, Brother Richard Edward. Hi, friends. I admit a moment of speechlessness because for a government geek and church nerd being with 3,000 Episcopalians doing the holy work of the governance of the church in one spot for 10 years, or rather for 10 days, sometimes it felt like 10 years, <laughs> is actually a brief glimpse of the cabin in the sky. I spent, um, I was served on a committee um, for racial justice and reconciliation. We had 11 resolutions. We spent much of our time starting two days before the floor actually opened in meetings and hearings, wrestling with these 11 resolutions and trying to think of what does this mean for the work of the church? So here's one of the insights of being in general convention. In our missionary district of the Diocese of California, all five counties, when you, you are in the presence of members of the church from the other 108 dioceses spread over 13 countries, you are in awe to be in fellowship with all these wonderful saints of the church because you get to share their witness, you get to share, I shared our witness of what it's like to be on the San Francisco, on the Bay Area, but also to hear their witness from Central New York, Eastern Massachusetts, from Honduras, 
from Puerto Rico, from Haiti, from Cuba, from North Dakota, Alaska, Alabama, Florida. It was wonderful because it's one of the few times we get to do this, that we get to actually be there. And the experiences of the church are so different from ours, and yet it's still the same. Because we do share the prayer book, we do share our presiding bishop, we do share the fellowship of being Episcopalians, but even more so to, that the joy of doing the work of God in the presence of all these other godly saints of the church is just wonderful. Um, a brief impression of a couple of things. One is going to one of Bishop uh, Curry's revivals cannot be underestimated. We took over a place, where was it? The Texas? The Palmer Center in Austin, which holds about 10,000 people, and that night about 8,000 of, 8, of us were there, witnessing, testifying, singing, listening to um, Bishop Curry speak, listening to a couple of the other, whose names I forget, the other bishops of uh, Texas speak, and given in a fire of the Holy Spirit that we don't normally see on a Sunday, when people standing up, clapping, singing, witnessing, coming together in prayer stations was just absolutely incredible. And one scene I just remember is Bishop Curry had a translator who do side-by-side uh, -side translation to Spanish, and she mimicked every move, every gesture, followed him up, down, left, right, all across the stage, and mimicked his every gesture. And there are times he just stopped and said, are you keeping up with me? And she said, si, 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 obutspa. Si, si, yes, I am keeping up with you. It was incredible. But it also showed the breadth of the church of something that we sort of forget sometimes out here, that our church has a lot of people whose language is Spanish, whose language is French, whose language is Mandarin, and they are, and we are all part of one church. Another impression, as Brother Richard Edwards said, was going to uh, witness at the detention center in Taylor at the Hutu, uh, Hutu, it was just being, about a thousand of us were there, and about 500 split off from the field where we were permitted, because again, they've never done this, no one's ever done this before, to walk over and actually get as close as they could before the security guards kept them away from the actual gate of the center, to be the witnesses, to, to see, to sing, to pray. It was, that itself was amazing. But most of all, I think, was knowing that the work that we did there becomes the voice of our church. That when someone says, well, where does your church stand on immigration? We have something that was a resolution that was passed that talks about that. One of the great things that we did in ours was a resolution deploring the sin of scapegoating in politics that Bishop Taylor from Los Angeles brought to us that said that scapegoating is a sin, that when, when our secular life looks at other people and blames them for the ills of our society, that we recognize that is against the will of God, that is against the work of the Holy Spirit, that is against the mind of the Episcopal Church because we see God in everyone. God does not make defective products. God makes the love of creation in each one of us. So I thank you for your time. Looking forward to your questions. Thank you, Eric. Uh, Warren, over to you. Hey, thank you. Um, before I get started, I just wanted to check. Have any of you, when we did the deanery reports um, before convention, um, there was some material posted about what the deputation does and the priorities. 
If you ha haven't seen that, it's on the uh, DialCal website um, under dialcal.org slash General Convention 2018. It actually lists and explains a lot about who's on the deputation, how we elect everyone, what legislative committees everyone is on, also who, uh, what the diocesan resolutions that were passed that we took to convention. Um, it's surprising to, well, it should be surprising, much of what we passed at diocesan convention um, went forward. Um, we were the only diocese to put forward a resolution on uh, a just peace in the Holy Land. Um, what came out of that was um, not the exact resolution, but the fact that a very similar resolution that passed in the House of Deputies by 75%. Okay, the, 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 the drawback was it was rejected by the House of Bishops. Okay, so it, it's both sides there. So that was the, the, other than that, most of the other stuff passed. Um, we did establish our priorities, that's listed here in, in, on the website. So I just want to give you that background to work with. So let me just tell you a little bit of how I approach General Convention in the context about this. Bill would, we, we could probably attest to this. One of my goals as a leader, a lay leader in the church is my passionate desire to make sure all voices of the church have a seat at God's table, okay? So I, because of that, I'm always very mindful to making sure the people we have representing the Diocese of California represent the various constituencies within our, our diocesan community and congregations because we are often very strategically looked at from the other diocese of the church in terms of leadership from various pockets of the, of the church, whether it's culturally or you know, gender orientation, in many ways we seem to be looked at in terms of the areas of leadership. Um, so because of that, we do a lot of things ahead of time. And I might run a little long, but I think it's really important you hear this, is a couple of years back, maybe about six years ago, Richard and I worked together to form what we called the, the California Deputation Gathering, which is at CDSP. We gather all the deputation, general convention deputations from the six dioceses of California and we do in the state of California, and we gather and we just talk and we meet people. And the thing that we've been doing that's kind of unique is we do it ahead of time because we start forming relationships with people and we identify what their passions are. And when you do that, you can continue to build on that conversation. So because we've been doing this upfront work like a year before convention, what we do is we pass legislation at our diocesan convention so people can speak to them, whether it's on immigration, whether it's on climate change. And then afterwards, what we do is we're very mindful, the senior deputies, ensuring that some of the, the newer folks on the deputation or alternates have an opportunity to develop their voice at the microphone at diocesan convention. And you know, I know some people may feel like, well, let's just get this stuff done with and we can finish diocesan convention. But there's a reason 
why we bring people to the depth to the various uh, deaneries to practice that voice because and I, I hope I'm saying it nicely we practice at our diocesan convention with the with the younger folks so they can practice there because when they get to the microphone at general convention they're on the jumbotron literally and that practice there is very powerful and at this convention I think even more so than, this is my sixth general convention, and I've been a deputy five times, and I've been co-chair of the deputation three times. But what I've noticed about this convention that's been more unique is, and I think we're in a period with, under Bishop Curry's leadership where it's become much more transformational, where people, where we're evolving from the way the church has been and looking to the way the church will needs to be and because of that I think there was much more attention to listening and hearing personal stories of people's faith one of the things we broke broke into small groups with with our bishops in a joint session with the bishops is talking about the three pillars of the Jesus movement and I and that's one of the powerful things I want to tell you that we're going to carry back to diocesan convention. I've, I've crafted a resolution that we're going to bring to convention. I hope we get your input on this at, at, at the diocesan convention because I think that that's where we're going to be moving in, in these three areas. But more important is I think what this do, does provide is an opportunity for us to thread and ha share our personal faith stories with one another. Because, you know, I'm, and I'm sure some of you feel this way. Sometimes we are passing a lot of justice resolutions, but where is the thing that we talk about faith formation? And I think having this opportunity to share that in our deaneries, among our congregations, and in a diocesan setting where you're sitting side by side with somebody from a different congregation and you're sharing how you found your faith and how this has transformed you, or even the experience about the challenges of your life. So that, those are two, two of the things that I think are important. So let me just kind of fast track this a little bit quick, more quickly. The two areas I was focused on was making sure Bishop Mark's resolutions on climate change made it through the, both houses. Uh, although I was not on that legislative committee, I was working with the people who were um, caucusing for those resolutions. Uh, one of the things that we passed is a unique one that came out of the province, which is this one on ocean health. You know, we didn't have a policy on ocean health. And so that was passed um, in both houses. And uh, it, it provides a thread for us to um, minister to ref, ref, climate change refugees. And we can talk about that in further detail, but that's one of the areas that's also important. Um, um, another thing that came up was, and so the legislative committee that I was on was Committee 18, which was Stewardship and Social Responsible Investing. And if you've gone to a number of diocesan conventions, you always notice that I'm writing something that has to deal with, you know, social responsible investing, whether it's... Um, um, uh, human trafficking for 
labor traffic, okay? So, um, so this legislative committee that I was on, we dealt with something a little bit different. And the story that we often hear about is, oh, we should have the church divest from something because that's what worked in South Africa. So here's a little bit of a turn, a different strategy. So first of all, the topic that came up was gun violence. And what were you going to do about gun violence? And so, first of all, the church does not own any stock in gun companies. First and foremost, okay? So, this resolution, and I, I think if you're going to remember anything, it's called B007, okay? So, think of it like James Bond 007, okay? So just Google this and you'll, you'll find. So what this is, is a change of policy, and it's based on the principles of called the Moshbacher-Bennett Mosh principles. And it tr treats the social responsible investing a little bit differently. This is where they're advocating that faith communities buy stock in gun companies. Okay? And you kind of go like, why are we doing that? This is, well, so the resolution was crafted by Bishop Doug Fisher from the Diocese of Western Massachusetts, where two of the gun companies are home-based. And in this case, what we're talking about is he wanted to go to their stockholders meeting and speak to them, but he couldn't because he didn't, but the church didn't own any shares in this. So we went back and forth, and then we found out that there is another strategy that's been going on, and this is this Moshbacher-Bennett principles. And it, it basically was initiated by the Sisters of Mercy. And they went and fought, they bought share in stock companies, and you probably... And Bill would remember, I always make these comments about companies don't like nuns with wearing habits at stockholders meetings because it doesn't look good if there's a man at the microphone speaking down and not being respectful to the nuns, okay? In this case, for some reason, they filed a resolution with a German a gun company and the stock company, excuse me, the directors or the management told them, we're going to advise our stockholders not to vote for this. Well, in the end, the sisters, along with uh, some, um, uh, I guess, uh, management companies of various um, um, money managers, basically voted with the nuns. So instead, they end up getting 61% of the vote to uh, think about safe gun practices in the implementation of their stuff. Interesting policy. And so when I heard this in my legislative committee, I says, and we went back and forth, and then the discussion was, you know, maybe the deal is we shouldn't put our blinders on about, oh, we want to all feel good and do a South Africa type way of approaching it but maybe we need to use all the tools that are available to see if we can impl implement some type of change 
in attitudes about this. So what I've been trying to do is bring this to our larger diocesan community, because I think people see only divestment as the only strategy. And I think, like I say, just remember this, James Bond 007, okay? And it's called B007. And uh, I think it's very, a very interesting way of looking at that. Um, so the only other thing I'm just going to say is um, one of the things about the prayer book is, and I think this is the takeaway I want to bring back to y'all, is the fact that when we were talking about uh, the newer version, we weren't just going to be looking for a translation of the words, but more stuff, uh, more approach of how can this really respond to and be more poetic to those communities in, ter in terms of speaking in their language, which, which it is. So the thought about even having some people on there in different to do the, some of the work in different language who had a more poetic approach to things. So I just want to pass that on that, you know, I think the next few conventions, it's going to be important. We have members on the deputation who have that stronger liturgical background uh, because I think that this is going to be, it's going to be coming up and it's going to be coming up and you want that level of comfort because I often think that there are certain parts of our liturgy that are very personable and that's why I want to ensure we have that opportunity to share and listen because th there's no need to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I think if we have to have a right three, four, and five, or whatever version of it, just add to. Um, but I, I, I think what we need to do is just make, have a process where much of this is attended to. Uh, Warren, the House of Bishop rejected this issue about the Palestine issue. Do you recall the percentage of the vote within the House of Bishop? I don't know the percentage, but I can tell you the amount of votes from the House of Bishops which was 45 out of 110. It could be more when you look at whatever the denominator was. Okay? First, I want to thank you, all of you, for your hospitality. I, uh, and especially for those of you here in this room, um, for your interest in what's going on at convention and for your interest in the church's governance. We had a... Uh, a, a really wide diversity of folks on our deputation uh, this time from people, as Warren just said a minute ago, it's his sixth uh, convention as a, as a deputy. This was my first convention as an elected something. I had visited two other ones uh, prior, but the first time elected as something, and I was an alternate, and so... I probably have a little bit different perspective than my three colleagues here. Uh, I'll, I'll, let me see if I can make that point by, by saying that some of us at the end of the last political cycle two years ago and at the end of the election um, did some self-reflection uh, on our involvement in leading up to that campaign and whether or not we could have been a little more involved in that and perhaps if we had the outcome might have been slightly different. To echo what Eric said a few minutes ago, this is an opportunity to be with 
some of the people who are the most active in the Episcopal Church. And it's an amazing experience to, to be there and to kind of sense that excitement and, to, and then to share your own skills and talents with people around you, some of whom have been there many more years and contributed so much more, but other folks who are also a little bit new. Um, I would say that, that for me, the two things that were kind of focus areas for me while we were there, um, number one, we, during the 10-day, 11-day period, there's an annual um, tradition that we host something called California Night. And so somewhere in the middle of the convention, there we, we plan and, and execute an event. It's essentially a social event, but it usually has some kind of a theme to it. And this year, the theme was, was about creation, to, to honor uh, one of these three pillars, as well as, in particular, the, the work and focus of this diocese. And so it was celebrating the earth and the cosmos. And I, along with uh, a, a small group of folks, worked for about, I guess, three, four, five months on planning this event. We had about 130 or 40 people show up including lots of folks from all over the country, some of whom used to be in the Diocese of California and others have uh, moved away. But also our presiding bishop showed up and, and uh, gave some reflection. So it was a wonderful celebration and it, it really does, uh, to echo what was said earlier, it, it, it shows that the, Di the Diocese of California is an indeed in a leadership, thought of to be in a leadership role in this church, people look up to and respect the leadership of this diocese, very much so nationwide. The other thing is that we, that, uh, there are 16 of us, there's, uh, Richard mentioned that there are eight uh, deputies, four clergy, four lay, and then we also elect four, uh, eight alternates. And uh, the Diocese of California is one of the few dioceses who actually bring all 16 people to convention. Now, now the, the uh, three of the four alternates in each case, uh, are the cost of that is subsidized. It's not covered entirely, but we willingly chip that in to be a part of what's happening. And we make use of all 16 people, which gives us a much greater footprint in what's happening. Uh, for example, there are more legislative committees than 16. And so, uh, but we, it is our objective to have somebody involved in every, in what's happening at every single legislative committee. Some of us are, are doing more than one. My, uh, I was asked to be a part of the evangelism and church planting. And it wasn't, it wasn't one of my choices. I hadn't put that down. And I, and so I would, had mixed emotions the first day that I went. And after, by the end of the convention, I had learned so much about evangelism. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't about knocking on doors and doing cold calling. It's about, I learned that it's about living a life of evangelism and becoming, becoming an evangelism in who, an evangelist in who you are and, and, and what others, how others see you. It was so exciting, and it turned my mind around about evangelism. But in any case, I, then I was there at each of our daily meetings to bring up kind of things that, were, that we covered during those legislative committee meetings. 
and to share and to be able to let our, our, our co-chairs know what was going on. So in coming back, somebody asked me recently if I was going to uh, run for election to do this again in, two, in th uh, three years from now in Baltimore. And I, I have to say, confess that I haven't totally decided yet, but, but I feel differently about that question than when someone asked me a couple of weeks before convention, because I had already decided this is way too much work. <laughs> so I feel differently about it now. But again, I, would, I just want to close by, by thanking you again for taking time on your Sunday, staying after the service to come and join us. And it was, it's truly been a pleasure to represent this diocese. I, I feel like the diocese, because I do, as Richard said, I do visit parishes. I was at the Holy Cross in Castro Valley last week, and I do get out and visit parishes and just consider it a, a wonderful chance to get in, to meet and greet and be with all of you on a weekly basis. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Um, as we were speaking, I realized I didn't quite finish my slide, so just very briefly, we welcomed the Church of Cuba back into the Episcopal Church, um, which was actually a very emotional moment, I think, for this general convention. Um, and uh, just to speak to that very briefly, uh, part of the reason for that was, as you can imagine, the break with Cuba um, occurred around the time of the revolution. And um, for a variety of reasons, um, the House of Bishops decided to sever the Episcopal Church's ties with the Church of Cuba at the time. Um, it wasn't all for negative reasons. I think there was, there was also a move to try to protect the Christians on the ground in Cuba. I mean, to have any affiliation with the United States, for instance, around the time of the Bay of Pigs invasion would have, would have been highly dangerous. Um, for Christians on the ground in Cuba. But the long and the short of it was we'd had this long estrangement with the church in Cuba, which had then come um, under, the, um, under the protection, to some degree, of the Anglican Church of Canada. Um, and in fact, for a long time, we were moving some support for the work of the church in Cuba through the Anglican Church of Canada so that they could get money and we could sidestep the, um, the economic sanctions. Um, here on the ground. But at last, we're in a position now where we can welcome the Church of Cuba back into the Episcopal Church. And so we did that formally at this diocesan convention. Um, as usual, the devils are in the details, and I was involved in some of that. But uh, now, now there's going to be a, a process to really get everything regularized, get their clergy fully um, on board with the Episcopal Church. But it was an exciting moment. So we're going to open up the floor to questions. What do you want to hear more about? And... Uh, what thoughts, responses do you have? Um, I'm just curious whether we're still out of communion with the Church of England. The, the short answer to that is we never were. Yeah, um, which is, I hope, good news. Yeah, um, it may have seemed like it only because there was some estrangement with other churches in the Anglican communion we have always remained in communion with the Archbishop of Canterbury. And um, even though the Archbishop of Canterbury has been known to show up at our general conventions and sometimes tell us to behave, but, uh, but the, the beauty of our church is all 38 churches of the Anglican communion are autonomous. And the way that we are in communion is we are recognized by the Archbishop of Canterbury 
calls all our bishops to gather at the Lambeth Conference once every 10 years. So, anything you want to add to that? I, I will say, I'm sorry, I, I, I will say just one other thing. Um, this was the first general convention where that wasn't actually a big hot topic, which says to me we finally reached a point where we're getting on the other side of a, a, a very difficult time for the communion. And, and I credit, um, I, I think it's no small credit goes to our current presiding bishop, who really got into the room with the other primates of the Anglican communion and developed a rapport with them. And if you look at nothing else to see what the relationship is like now, look up a video where he is in conversation with the Archbishop of Canterbury right after the royal wedding and just see the warmth of the relationship. And, uh, and that's a big change, I would say. You took the words out of my mouth. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't mean to do that. No, that was but, beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Do you have anything to add? I think the fact that the presiding bishop was asked to uh, preach at the royal wedding, that photo says it all. It's like, well, if there was any strained relationships, why did the archbishop call him to have him preach at the royal wedding? And surprise half the royal family in the process. Yeah. Yeah. Another one for Warren, but I like the idea of everybody participating in gun ownership, I mean, in, the, in the, that financial end of it. I wonder if that would also be true if everybody joined the NRA. If we all were part of the NRA and became a majority, then maybe they wouldn't be supporting so many conservative issues. Evangelism is very important now. And uh, what would you recommend how I could be a better evangelism, evangelist among my neighbors? Because I see many ladies of my age and they are not in church at all. What would you recommend me? How I could do it, you know, with dignity and show good manners so that invite, I could invite them to church. Just made your rector's heart very glad. Ron. We're giving you a first stand. I would say start with asking yourself, what, what is an ideal evangelist? What, what, what does evangelism look like to me? And then think about how you can take on what that, that vision of what you're seeing, even more than you already are yourself. Because I, I, think, I think evangelism, as you, as you walk out those doors, what you're gonna do in a few minutes, it's when you walk outside into the outside world, how are you seen by the people in your network by, by your family, by your friends, by your colleagues. Um, and because w whether we know it or not, each of us are an evangelist. And if you, if, you ask, if you ask the people that are in your circles, they will talk about you in way, the word evangelism may not come up, 
but they will talk, you, talk about you in ways that describe your special uniqueness. And, and th those folks who are closest to you are drawn to you because of how unique and how special you are. So at some point, then somebody comes back and, and says, how, do you, how did you get formed to be, to be who you are and where you are? And there's an opportunity there for you to talk about your faith community, your worshiping community, and just invite them. Say, come and, and, and be with me. Eric, what would you add to that? Not much more. Here's the thing with evangelism, which is God's Holy Spirit is working in all of us. So how do we share that with one another? What is it that we can do that says, I'm a Christian, I do this because this is who I am? I think you've been here before when I preach and talk about going to the local coffee shop and scaring the people next to you by saying hello and watching them all run away because you're interfering with their time reading their telephones for the hundredth time that day or helping the, someone cross the street, that old Boy Scout, Girl Scout routine. But it's very true, which is the things that we do that make us part of our community, that make us beyond just an individual, working in our individual islands, as, as uh, Reverend Dunna, the great poet, talked about. We're beyond that, we are all connected. So the evangelism is just, what is it that piece of the Holy Spirit that works when, with us? that invites us to be speaking to strangers, inviting them into our community, that may be walking into church right off the bat. It could also just be saying hello to someone and starting a new relationship with someone that seems alone and living outside of community. That's the first step. For you are blessed to have such an active parish that there are many ways of entering in through book clubs, through the social justice ministries, feeding everything that also includes worship on Sunday, but beyond that. So thank you for that question. This is the work of the church, and it's actually a wonderful time to be in the church where we are all actually speaking about this. What makes me an evangelist? How do I follow in the way of Jesus the Christ? Thanks, Eric. Warren, did you have anything you wanted to add? So this is a good lead into what this resolution's called. Hearing our call to be disciples of Jesus. And it basically asks us to share our faith stories. And I think not so much in the fact that we're sharing the story, but we spend the time to sit and listen with one another and just be present. Because I think what happens is, in a soft way, it's our own evangelism. By being together with people, sharing our faith stories, and hearing other people's personal stories. And behind that, often there's a spiritual part that starts resonating with them. And you continue to honor and allow that to grow. And that builds that relationship where you can, in your own way, understand more about people of different faith traditions who are constantly discerning their spiritual growth. You also may meet somebody from a different cultural context that you don't even understand yet, but yet... Once you realize, boy, we've got so much in common in other ways, it's like, why do I think they were this other person? So I think the, uh, the chance to be with others, share our stories, and listening is very powerful. 
We have time, I think, for one more question. Scott. I was interested in the uh, address that you addressed the treatment of the immigrants and went to visit a detention center. And I'm sure you came to some conclusions on it. And what you have learned by it or and conclusions, does that get out to the general public? Eric, do you want to talk to that? It gets up. So the question about does the work that we do, especially around the Im immigrants, does that get out to the general public? We have in the Episcopal Church, um, we have a press office. We have a government that puts out bulletins. They put out a bulletin every day of the work of convention, including not only the resolutions that were passed, but also what we did that day. So there was actually a press release that went out that said 1,000-plus Episcopalians showed up at the Hutu Detention Center and heard these people speak and bore witness and um, saw the, the hands of the windows and received a telephone call that said we were, you know, the people inside were listening to us. We also have a government affairs office that uh, took the information from that and they will be lobbying Congress people to share that witness within the halls of Congress. Yes, we have a lobbyist just as much as the oil companies have lobbyists, that construction companies have lobbyists, the chambers of commerce. We also have our lobbyists along with the other main, mainline uh, Protestant churches, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Congregationalists. We have a lobbying office too. And they do this work, and it is sacred work to share our story. And we've been blessed that our bishop, through the work of our government office, has testified before Congress on issues on refugees and climate justice issues, invited by our office. So the word does get out. The question of how much do you see that on the front page of the New York Times, the headlines at Fox News, the headlines of CNN, that may be another issue, but certainly our work as evangelists of the church, thank you, is to let people know this is the work of our church. I also agree with uh, what Eric says is the conclusion is it's when we pass a legislation, it's a policy of the church. And it goes into what we practice and also where we feel the mission of the church is. Um, in terms of what we try to do is, I think one of the things that we were, maybe not this, the first diocese, but we were the second diocese that passed the sanctuary resolution at Diocesan Convention last year. There was some contention from some um, more moderate to conservative congregations in the diocese that felt we were breaking the law. But I think in the end, it was a case of what the people's definition of the word sanctuary meant. And you can go into an architectural discussion about that, or you could go into what the theory behind what sanctuary means. The most important thing, and I got this from my rector, I was struggling back and forth. He says, I really don't care what the heck we call it, but if there is an immigrant, a person from the immigrant community, and the word sanctuary is a terminology that they're safe with, that welcomes them into our church, that's good enough for me. 
why don't you go ahead and start to close this out, Ron? I started my remarks earlier with talking about the last political cycle and how some of us reflected on maybe we could have done something more. Um, is there anyone in the room, by the way, who's part of the vestry here? No, not, okay, not today. Um, I just would encourage all of you to, we, we of course want you as involved as much as you can possibly be in the life and ministry of this parish. But also just want to encourage you also to be involved in the life of your diocese and in the life of the larger church. That's what we're all about here to talk about today. And I want to thank you for sharing, I mean, the, the fact that Richard Edward was able to be on the standing committee of the diocese for four years and uh, function as an officer of that, in case you're not aware of that committee for four years. That's where I met Richard, Richard, Richard Edward, who's a dear and cherished friend of mine at this point. I just want to thank you for letting, for sharing him with all of us. And that's one of the ways that we're, the fact that he's done that and the fact that he's part of our national deputation is a, is a connection that's of value to you. It connects your parish to what's happening in the diocese, to what's happening in the national church. And so for others of you who are who in this parish, who feel so called, we don't want to take anything away from what, what folks are doing here in this parish, but we're just asking you to also be involved in the wider, what, what's going on with the wider church. It's a, it's a truly, um, um, it's, it's one way to, to answer the call of evangelism, as you so articulately expressed earlier. Thank you. Warren, what would you like to say? Um, thank you. Thank you for uh, lifting us up and allow us the opportunity to, to share this today. Um, I think we've been blessed with some wonderful leadership from this diocese in terms of not only part of our deputation, but I, I'm going to say this, which I'm sure people may disagree or, or not. I think we probably are one of, if not the best general convention deputation in the Episcopal Church, because we're on top of everything. We utilize all our folks. Uh, we understand people we have unique gifts. And I think the dynamic of the deputation has changed in the last 10 years. And because of this, I'm going to tell you a little story. When I was in high school, I was in athletics. So you kind of wonder, what athletics was it? He's not a football or basketball player. Was it? I was a gymnast. And as you know, when you watch, you know, Wide World of Sports or whatever, there's, there's these various people who are gymnasts. Some are all around. Some are specialists. I was a specialist. I did like one or two events, and I did it real well. Working in collaboration with some of the people who are like more all around, we found that working together, we lift up some of the all-around people in their specific apparatus. That's the way we work in our deputation is we find a lot of specialists and they rise up and become great all-around people. So that said, I think that's why we're so blessed because we have a diverse rep uh, deputation, 
not only culturally, economically, but also in specialties. And that's the gift that we have because, because we've kind of raised everyone up and honored everyone's gifts, I think we've been fortunate that other dioceses, especially in, in California, they look to us to take the lead on many of these things. So I'll, I just want to pass that on. I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for your support. We could feel them the whole two weeks in Texas. We could feel them as we attended all these meetings that took place in the first half of the year. Um, let's just say I logged in my air miles and I might be able to share a trip with my wife by the end of this year. But most of all, I'm very grateful for the support you've given us, for the leadership from our, um, for our deputation chairs. But most of all, uh, to echo what Warren said, we are 16 of us, but we sat on many committees, and over half of us will probably continue on doing the work of the church over the next three years. That is the effectual strength of the God, grace of God working in the Diocese of California that this little diocese of 80 congregations in five counties has that respect and impact on the wider church. And for this, we are grateful and thanks be to God. Thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us. Thank you all three very much. It's a privilege to have you with us. Um, if you want to follow up a little bit more, you can go online, generalconvention.org. You can find all kinds of information there about the legislation we passed. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe the videos even from the floor debates are still posted, so you can see a lot of live action um, from both the House of Bishops and the House of Deputies um, as it unfolded in real time. And um, you'll be hearing more about um, how the work of General Convention affects us here at Church of Our Savior in the coming weeks and months, and keep your eyes and ears open. And um, I just want to say here, here to what Ron said about you are invited warmly to participate in the life of the wider church, and uh, I'll drive you there if you if you want to go to a meeting. Uh, it's uh, it's it's very rewarding work, and you get to meet a lot of fabulous people, um, and very faithful people as well. So you all are an inspiration to me, and thank you again for being here, and thank you all so much. Thanks for listening to this podcast of A Word from the Edge, Faith, Religion, and Spiritual Community at the Edge of Secular Culture. I'm Brother Richard Edward Helmer, your host. We are a ministry of the Episcopal Church of Our Savior in Mill Valley, California. Find our podcast feed over at iTunes or in your favorite podcasting service. Give us a rating. Or go to our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org for more information about our spirituality, ministries, and service in the wider community. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon. <laughs>